Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. Many of you guys know, if you're visiting today, you don't. Uh, my wife, my whole family, we, we actually got to visit uh, the UK for a couple weeks. I was filling in for a pastor over there, among other things, and it was a great, great trip. Thank you so much for your prayers. And so as I was away, though, I was, had some time to pray just to, as far as like coming back. We just got halfway through Romans in six months, which is, that is a great pace for Romans. I'm pretty happy about that. It took like three years to get through Acts. So we're, we're cooking on some theological stuff here. But um, uh, kind of this going into Christmas, you know, I, I, I was just praying if the Lord would have us kind of focus on something different. Um, but along the lines of Acts, you know, we just finished up Romans, or uh, sorry, Romans. Yeah, we just finished up Romans 8. And um, we went through all these, all these, these attributes or these, these uh, basically these, these gifts we, we've received in being in Jesus, these, these truths of benefits of our salvation. And I don't know about you, but I, I came out of that chapter full of hope, just being reminded of these things I already knew, but I need to hear those things all the time, all these things we have in Jesus. And, you know, I taught that same chapter to the, the people in the UK, and, and I felt like the Lord really blessed it in that they, they appeared filled with hope. And so um, I was just kind of thinking, you know, here's this topic. It seems like the Lord's been kind of building in us this idea of hope and being hopeful in him and hopeful in his word. And I was thinking like regarding Christmas because really the birth of Jesus Christ is where the hope we've been given starts, right? And I was trying to think of a person in the Bible that, uh, you know, a appears to have that hope, if you will. I always like looking at examples of people in the Bible for things that I want to learn um, as a part of my relationship with God. And I thought of a person like that has to do with Christmas, very much so, um, that appeared to be hopeful or, or looks to be someone that's full of hope despite really given, being given some news by God that had the potential for all types of uncertainty and adversity in her life. But she believed God and his word despite her perception of things, and that led to hope in her life. And she was a very much an active participant in Jesus, Jesus' birth, because she was the one that gave birth to him. That would be Mary. So that's why we're going to be in Luke 1. We're going to look at this example of her and her life and um, you know how keeping your focus on the right, in the right place can give you hope, even in the midst of uncertainty and adversity. So let me pray one more time and then we'll, we'll get into this chapter and talk, talk a lot about hope. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I can already tell this morning that there's a lot that's trying to take my mind off of your word. And for me, that's just an indication that you have something very important and specific to say to your people. And just as I want to I want you to remove those distractions and just be present, fully present, so that I can hear you and your Holy Spirit and what it is you want to say through your word. I pray that for the rest of your people in this place today, Lord. This is an extra busy time of the year. We have lots of fun things to look forward to. 
But Lord, when we're with you, we want to give you our undivided attention because we don't want to miss out on what it is you want to say and do in us. So may we take away everything it is that the Spirit would want to say to us, Lord. I think of how in Revelation, when you're writing those letters to the churches, you always say, he who hears the Spirit, or there's an exhortation to hear what the Spirit says. We want to be those that hear what the Spirit says to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start out first by defining what hope is. It's a word that we use a lot in our daily language. And the dictionary definition of it is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen that will be good. So to hope is, is kind of like looking forward to something. Like an example would be is I hope that I get to go somewhere warm for vacation later this year, all right? Very fitting today because it's cold. Um, now, God's word talks about hope too. It's littered all throughout the Bible, but there's a big caveat between worldly hope and what the Bible defines as hope because what the Bible teaches us or what God's word says is that true hope can only be found in God and his word. Whereas the world would say you can place hope in a whole bunch of things, a lot of material things or people, I mean, whatever you want, a lot of different things. And what this leads to practically in our lives is that worldly hope is based on uncertainty and biblical hope is rooted in absolute surety. Okay, worldly hope is based on uncertainty. Biblical hope is rooted in absolute surety. So when I say something like, I hope that I get to go somewhere warm on vacation, or you can basically fill in the blank with whatever you want. I hope to do this. I hope to do that. What I'm really saying is that I would like this to happen, but I can't be absolutely sure it will. Would you guys agree with that? Right? Because we can't control, we don't have sovereign control over the future. We could try, but we don't know for sure. But biblical hope isn't the same thing because it is a confident expectation of coming good or that something good will most certainly happen in your life because God has promised it in his word. And God doesn't lie. So if he says it, it 100% truly will come to pass. And as such, God in his word has to be the foundation for any true hope in our lives. And that's why Paul tells us, and a brother shared this in the prayer room, just without me even knowing this morning, which was affirmation that this was a passage to share today. But Paul tells us this in Romans 15, 13, where he says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul tells us some things there. He says that God is the source of hope, and as such, our trust must be in him, and when it is, we will experience not just hope, but a confident hope, a sure expectation of what he says, and that will result in joy and peace in our lives, all things that we all want in this world, right? 
And the writer of Hebrews also tells us that there is a correlation between faith and hope, or that faith or belief in God and his word is what will lead to true hope in our lives. He says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith shows the reality of what we see or what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. You see, if hope's based on things that I can see or the external things in this world, the joy and peace that comes with that hope will be totally dependent on things working out the way that I want them to work out. And when they don't, that joy and peace will go away with the things not working out the way I want. And it's often replaced with discouragement or anxiety. But if my faith is found in God and his word, things that I can't necessarily see, they're not tangible. My hope isn't dependent on my circumstances anymore. Instead, it's dependent on the God who's in absolute control of my circumstances and has promised that he always has my best interest in mind. And that will result in a steadfast joy and peace that can't be shaken, even if things I'm perceiving aren't going the way that I would like them to go, because God has said differently. He said they'll be good. He'll said they'll be in my best interest. We are going to see an example today of Mary do this very thing. Basically place her hope in God and what he said to her, despite what she might perceive as not being a good situation. And you will see the joy and peace that it brings to her life. Starting in Luke 1, 26. It says, in the sixth months, month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So just, I'm gonna hit some things, some educational points, historical points as I go through this. So to be betrothed, because we don't use that, that word a lot in our culture, even though I think we should totally bring it back. I, I would have no problem betrothing my sons to the people I want. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> taking bids um uh so to be they're not there would you agree with that samuel <laughs> all right so to be betrothed in this culture would have meant that basically mary was pledged or promised to be married to david by their parents but basically they hadn't yet come together to consummate 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 that marriage so even though that betrothal would have been like legally done. Like if, 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 if David did not want to see that marriage through, he would have had to get a certificate of divorce, all right? So you're right, Joseph. Thank you. Thank you. You're allowed to correct me when I'm un unbiblical, so that's right. Thank you. Uh, he was of the house of David though, okay? <laughs> all right, verse 28. So this angel... Uh, says it, it comes to Mary, right? And it says in verse 28, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So try to put yourself in her place. In that culture, usually you were betrothed like, like early teens. So she's probably like somewhere around 15, 16 years old. All right, and this angel comes to her to give her a message. 
And before, here's what I want you to note, before that angel gives her the actual message or the, uh, the mission or what it was that God wanted to do in her life, more importantly, the, this is what the Lord wanted her to know first. Number one, that she was a recipient of his favor or grace, because how does he address her? Oh, favored one, all right? So that's the first thing the Lord wanted her to know. Second thing he wanted her to know was, is that he was with or that he wanted a relationship with her, okay? Right, because this is the first thing. It's big news what's coming after this, but the first thing God wants her to know is that you are favored by me and I am with you, okay? And those same truths apply to us, Christian. I really want you to hear this because this is, if you just take these two things away today, these are well worth what you should take away from this sermon. And that is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because he's paid the price of our sins, and that penalty's been dealt with, and through your faith in him and what he's done, you've been forgiven all, all your sins, you've been reconciled to God, you're brought into his family as his children. Here's the thing, he is with you, okay? You have been reconciled to God, you have a relationship with him, he's placed his Holy Spirit inside of you, and he will be with you until literally you go to heaven to be with him and you never leave his side again, okay? So that's the first thing. Just like the angel told her, God's with you. Here's the second thing. As his child, you are now a recipient of God's favor, of his grace. John 1.16 tells us, from his, that's talking about Jesus, abundance. Abundance means he's got plenty of it to give. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Some of your translations say we've received grace upon grace. The idea there is that when one instance of God's grace ends, the next one begins. So there is a never-ending supply of God's favor on your life through Jesus Christ. He wants to be with you and you are favored. And in fact, this is interesting. The Greek word used here in Luke 1, 28 for favored one is, if you're Greek, it's like halatu. It looks like karatu, all right? But that's how you say it. But that word there, which means highly blessed or much graced, it's only used one other time in God's word. And it's in the context of us as believers in Jesus Christ. And that's in Ephesians 1, 6, where it says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong or care to, to his dear son. So if you place your faith in Jesus, you belong to Jesus, all right? And you in belonging to Jesus are basically the highly blessed or the much graced, okay? And it isn't because of who you are or that you deserve that. It isn't because of anything that you've done, so you don't have to worry about losing it. It's completely because of where you are, and that is in Christ, that you are favored by God. And just as this good news was to make Mary hopeful, even in context of the additional information she's about to get that has the potential to create major adversity in her life, those truths that God is with you and that you are favored by him should produce an unwavering hope in your life no matter what else is going on. Because those are absolutes. 
There might be a whole lot of details we don't understand, but the absolutes are God is with you and he's never gonna forsake you, as Jody was saying earlier, and his favor is on you. Whether you see it or not, that's what you're gonna see one day. His favor is on you in your life, okay? Goes on in verse 29, it says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. Tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, I can sympathize with Mary's reaction here because my tendency, much like hers, can be to, at times, question God's goodness in my life. How many of you guys can relate to that? When it doesn't look good, that's our natural reaction. We question, well, is this really gonna be good? How are you gonna do something good in this, Lord? Even despite the fact he's told us he's gonna be good, that his favor's in our life, all right? And we gotta remember, as we learned in Romans 8, it's not that everything will be good because we live in a fallen world. And because of sin, things aren't good in this world. But what God has promised us in Romans 8, 28, he will work all things for our good, all right? So that takes time sometimes to see him work things out. But we know that he'll work all things for our good, right? But like Mary, I can find myself when I'm faced with uncertainty, when I'm faced with adversity, when I don't understand everything that is going on in my life, I can find myself doubting that God's really gonna be good, that he's really gonna keep his promises. And that attitude comes from believing my own perception of the situation even though I have limited understanding compared to God who knows everything, that, that's what happens. I, I, I believe my perception instead of him and his promises, and instead of hope, I come away troubled like it says Mary was here. But as we see the angel re- reiterate to her in verse 30, God is so good about reminding us, no, 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 I, my favor's on you. You don't have to worry. And God will continue to do that through other people in your life that know the Lord, through the, your, his word, through that still small voice sometimes when you're just spending time with him. God is good to remind us. And it says in verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus being the Greek word used for the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah, remember we learned this name? That's the name that's tied to God when he calls himself, I am the eternal one. So Mary being Jewish would have understood what was being said here. Whoa, I'm gonna have a son? Jehovah's salvation? And the angel goes on to tell her, verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, Forever, the house of Jacob being another reference to the nation of Israel because they were all the descendants of Jacob. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So this angel gives her additional details regarding how God is gonna specifically use her. And Mary, being Jewish, would have understood all these Old Testament passages that spoke of prophecies about this coming Messiah that God would send to save his people. All right, and God, she would have recognized basically what this angel's telling her is that you're gonna be the mother of this Messiah. The savior is gonna come through you and that the very son of God himself, which would make Jesus incarnate or basically God in the flesh since he was born of 
God, as Matthew 1, through 23 calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us. She would have understood this, and I would imagine for a young teenage girl, really for anyone, if God told you this, just as the good news is hard for us to fully comprehend, but what we do understand is amazing, this was probably hard for her to comprehend in, in full, but I'm sure what she did comprehend was pretty amazing. And her response in verse 34 is Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So that's a practical question, right? I mean, I don't think she's asking it for a lack of faith. She's just being honest and saying, well, how's this going to happen? I haven't even been with a man before. And I too can relate to her with this because when I'm looking at things from my perspective and I kind of box God in, this is how I think. Well, that doesn't make no sense. How can this happen? Because I haven't done this before. And what happens is I, I forget that God isn't limited by the things I am in this world, all right? God can do what we can't do. As Ephesians 3.20 tells us, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I love that verse. Because that's the explanation for why amazing things happen in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, because he does exceedingly more than we might ask or think. How many, how many of you have seen God do things in your life that are just uh, beyond your comprehension? You prayed for something and he went 100 times further and gave you something way better than you ever could have prayed for, or he did something way more miraculous than you could have ever imagined. That's what God does. And as we'll see in this next verse, it's never him or it's not us and it's not the things we do or our might and power that does anything of eternal value. It's always God and it's through his Holy Spirit. As it says in verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Jesus being holy, or the idea is set apart from any other child in this world, because no other child has been born so miraculously as Jesus Christ. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So I love this because what he does to help her understand is like, let me give you an example of something that could never have happened unless I did it, all right? Let me give you an example of my past faithfulness in someone else's life so that you can have faith in this present situation. As he had already demonstrated that he was more than capable of doing miraculous things and making Mary's family member Elizabeth, Elizabeth get pregnant in her old age when she had been barren all her life. So he's reiterating to her that, okay, Mary, I get why you, you think this is impossible, but remember, this is God you're talking to. Nothing is impossible with me. And this is another good example for us to learn from because here's the thing. The Lord will send Elizabeth to you too, brothers and sisters, in your life that in a sense have already been through the things you're dealing with now and they've, God's brought them through it and he's done the miraculous in their lives so that they can be used as an encouragement to you and a reminder that God is going to do the same thing for you. 
because they can speak from experience and say, yes and amen, God will do this thing because I've seen him do it for me. He will do it for you. And because of that, it's very important that you find the Elizabeths around you, that you don't try to go through hard things alone. Moms, dads, when you're struggling in raising your kids, guess what? Every parent goes through those same struggles. And so you find the ones that have made it to the end or that have kids that have turned out all right despite all of their insufficiencies and mess ups and you go to them and you hang out with them because they will be the ones that can say 100%, you're gonna make it through it. You're gonna be fine. Just keep enduring, keep persevering, keep looking to the Lord for help. And they can mean it 100% because they've done the same thing. Or when you see people, when you're struggling in marriage, you go hang out with married couples that are thriving, that have been married for 40 or 50 years because guess what? They've gone through the same struggles and God has brought them through it and he's taught them things that they can share with you. Not to discourage you, but encourage you. Keep going. This is what God taught us. This is, what I, this is how he got us through that. When you're dealing with like addictions and, and, and things of your flesh you can't seem to get over, that's what breakthrough's for. Because there's other people that have gotten through those, gone through those same things or going through those same things and God has taught them how to walk in the victory he's given them over their flesh. We need Elizabeth in our life. God wants to use those people around you. Amen? Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary's response is basically, all right, Lord, your will be done. Whatever it is you want. And it needs to be noted that this would have taken a great amount of faith on her part to trust God. Because here's the thing. First, it would have been absolutely scandalous in this culture, in this society, for a woman to have sex outside of marriage let alone be pregnant, which would have made it very obvious to the people, at least from their perception, that that's what had happened. And this very likely could have led to the husband she had been betrothed to, to divorcing her due to her perceived unfaithfulness, which we know from Matthew 119 that Joseph, in fact, was gonna do that until God sent an angel to him and said, don't do that. Don't divorce her. Stay with her. But had her betrothed husband done this, it would have made it next near to impossible for her to get married again. And as an unwed mother, Mary would have been looked down upon and shunned by society, which have made just making ends meet really difficult for her and her child. Yet despite all that potential adversity that could have come from this thing God wanted her to do for him, she trusted in him more than the what-ifs. More than what she thought could have happened or she probably was, could have been fearful of, she trusted him. And as such, she was completely submitted and surrendered to what it is that God asked her to do. And it says in verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And she explained with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed or had faith that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I want you to note what Elizabeth says specifically to Mary, okay? She said, she says, blessed is she or happy is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Or basically, happy are you that has had faith in what God has told you or what God has said in his word. Mary took the word given to her from the Lord and despite, again, the perceived possibility of multiple negative outcomes, which I'm sure she was thinking, she trusted or put her faith in God instead of her own understanding. And the result was she had hope in him, in his word to her, and it resulted in blessedness or happiness. And Mary reiterates this in the following verses as she writes a worship song, basically. She says in verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies or praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, or basically my joy is found in the one who has saved me. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, or the idea is who am I that he would even take notice of me? For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Or basically people will see how I, happy I am because of the evidence of his great grace in my life. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Or his mercy isn't just for me, it's for anyone that believes in him. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm or he's done mighty things in my life. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Or he shows himself to be against the proud person, but he exalts those that are humble. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things or those that seek him for their needs. He will satisfy. And the rich he has sent away empty or those that think they have everything, they're, they're the ones that are still gonna be found wanting. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Basically, he has remembered to show or to keep his promise to show mercy to his people. Verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So the words of that song should resonate with every single one of us in here that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ because those truths that Mary pointed out, they're not just for her. They're for every single one of you in Christ that have believed in him. They're all received through him. They're all examples of blessings we've received through our relationship with God. And I was just reminded as I was reading through this, looking at her life, how what the effect of having our hope in the right place is. 
Romans 8 gave us all these reasons. Paul tells us all these benefits of our relationship with Jesus, all these reasons why that should produce hope in our life. And here we see Mary given, being given reasons why she should place her hope in the Lord. And we need to pay attention to them because if you're anything like me, I can so often make the mistake of putting my hope in a bunch of other things in this world, whether that's things or outcomes or people. And if you've done that like I have, then you've really learned by now that often those things only lead to disappointment as they don't happen the way you want or those people don't come through for you the way you want or things just don't work out the way that you want. And that also leads to a whole lot of uncertainty in our lives as I talked about at the beginning because you have no way of knowing if those things are gonna work out the way you want. And that's not a fun feeling to have. Hoping and not knowing when really we could have this absolute confident expectation of good things to come if I just put my trust where it should be all along and that is the Lord and his promises. That's one of the greatest benefits that you can actually live out in your life as a Christian is that absolute confident surety and hope in God and what he has said to you because he's not a liar. And if you look at the testimony in your past, you'll see that he's never been a liar, so he'll never be a liar. And so with that, I guess what I felt like I would encourage you guys in church or that the Lord would want us to do this Christmas is just kind of ponder where our hope is in our lives at this point. Is it in things that can be had? Is it in things that can be seen? Is it things found in this world? Is it what presents you're gonna get for Christmas, young people? And those things are good. I mean, there's good things in this world. But the reality is, there's much better things in the Lord. And there's truths he's given us that really make everything else in this world something that we can hope in, even if it doesn't work out the way we want, because he's the one that's promised us good things and he's in the one control of all things. And if I want that confident expectation of good in my life and the resulting peace and joy that come with that, that the Bible talks about, then like Mary, my hope has to be in the Lord and the promises that he's made to me. And ultimately, we need to remember too that what's being told to Mary right here is the good news. It's the gospel, right? Jesus is gonna be born. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And that's where our hope is founded and grounded in because again, everything that God promises you has been received through Jesus. As it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Again, you don't have to worry about whether God is going to actually keep his promise to you or that somehow you've actually blown it or I don't know if, if I deserve this. You don't. And you have blown it. I've blown it. I don't deserve it. But we're saved by God's grace. He wanted the relationship with you. Despite you not wanting one with him. He saved you despite not deserving it. 
He says you deserve grace, which is undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. So all God's promises are yes, not because of me. They're yes because of Jesus. That's what makes Christmas so special. You take the Christ out of Christmas, then it ain't nothing. There's nothing to hope in it. He's the one that gives us every reason to be hopeful. And the ultimate hope that we can rejoice in being that no matter what happens, it has absolutely no bearing on your relationship with God and the fact that you're in his presence for all eternity and you are one that's in his favor. Nothing can change that, nothing. And that starts the moment you place your faith in Jesus and it goes forever. I got to see a great example of this this week and a dear brother in the Lord who lost his wife. If you guys didn't hear this, Sharon Phillips went home to be with the Lord. Where's David? Right there. Go and pray for that brother today and encourage him. But here's what I got to see. I got to see a man lose his partner, his spouse, that he was devoted to till she went home to be with the Lord or he went home to be with the Lord and mourn that loss, but at the same time speak of the hope of knowing where she was at, that she was better off, healed. If you know, Sharon had a stroke about a year ago and like was going through hard things because of that, but she's, he missed her, but she wasn't missing him. She, <laughs> She's in the Lord's arms and that he's gonna see her again one day. See, that's the hope that God gives us. Some of us are going through really hard things like that through this holidays. We're missing people we love that aren't here no more. We're dealing with really hard sicknesses. And I'm not minimizing those things because those are hard. But God's given you reasons to be hopeful with that hard. One of the greatest reasons being that that heart isn't gonna be there forever. As we talked about when we went through Romans, the heart's gonna end. If you wonder if this pain's ever gonna go away, yes, it will. When you're with the Lord, that pain will not be there anymore. We have hope, every reason to be hopeful. And so we wanna make sure that it's in the right place so we can experience that. So if you came here today discouraged or worried about something, I believe the word that the Lord gave to Mary is the word he would have for you today, Christian. And that is, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Leona. Don't be afraid, David. For you found favor with God. Amen? You found favor with God. And if your hope is misplaced and it's killing your joy, it's killing your peace this Christmas season, just put it back in the right place. That's what the Lord would remind us today. Get it back on me. Get it back on the truths of who you are in me, what you've received through faith in my son, and leave this place praising God, thanking God with the hope in him. And if you're here today, and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling troubled, 
I believe the Lord's word for you is from 1 John 5, 4 through 5, which says, for every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. This world feels evil. It does, it is. It's full of sin. That's why bad things happen. And that's why we're troubled by them. But faith in Jesus gives us every reason to be hopeful, even in the midst of the struggles we have in this world, as I've already said. And that, that, that gift of salvation, that gift of being forgiven of your sin is available to anyone and everyone. God loves the world. John 3.16 says he loved the world so much he sent his son. That is what we're celebrating at Christmas. If you didn't know that, you just learned it. We celebrating that God sent his son who was by nature equal with God. So God in the flesh to, to be born as a man, which I can't even comprehend that God, the creator of this universe, would allow himself to be lowered to being born as a human. But that's what he did because he knew it was the only way to show you how much he loved you. Not just say it, to show you how much he loved you because Jesus being equal with God, was able to come and live a sinless life so that he could be the required, the just penalty to take upon all the sins of mankind, all of our sins, every sin we've ever done, every sin we're ever gonna do upon himself and die a sinner's death, my death, that I deserved, your death, you deserved. He died on that cross so that that penalty could be paid for in full and then he conquered death rose from the grave three days later. He's alive and well now. He is coming back. That's the other thing about Christmas. It's not just about Jesus' first coming. It's that the anticipation we have that he's coming again. And when he comes the second time, it's not gonna be as a, a lamb. It's gonna be as a lion as he establishes his reign on this kingdom, in his kingdom on this earth. Amen? Amen. We look forward to that. But that hope we have from those truths that's available to anyone, everyone. You can come in here today. You might not have known God. You can believe in Jesus. You can repent of your sin. That means you turn from your sin. You turn to him to save you from it and help you with it. And he will come into your life. And the same thing that we learned today, he will be with you for all eternity and his favor will be upon you. I don't know how you can say no to that. I heard that. I'd probably heard it before, but I really heard it. I listened to it when I was 20 years old. And I gave my life to the Lord and I never looked back because I found everything I was looking for, the one thing I could truly hope for, hope, hope for in him. And that's what he wants for every single one of us. Amen? Amen.